Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, chirp chirping his ass off, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Oh, you know, just feeling that drip from that first matching in uh, Ball State, taking care of Kent State on Kent State's field. Mike, I got an interception on that field. I don't know if you know. Mm, yeah, no, I, I knew that about you, Brandon. I know you uh, uh-huh. you always uh, talked about being upset that you didn't actually get in the zone on one of those there, but I feel like getting your hands on one is still more than noteworthy. So, I mean, if, if, when you high point it, it is noteworthy. It is. It Man, is noteworthy. Nothing better than triple extension for a big guy going up and getting his mitts on the rock. <laughs> it's so good. Man. It's so damn good. <laughs> Um, speaking of good, we got a lot of good for you today. Uh, another big fella that's going to join the show with us, uh, Super Bowl champion and uh, commentator over at SNY covering the Jets, Willie Colon. You guys know him, former Pittsburgh Steeler, former New York Jet, guy who is all over the NFL and a guy who is certainly near and dear to us both here, former co-worker of Brandon's and friend of the show. So excited to have him roll through here, talk a little bit about Zach Wilson and the Jets, some of what we've seen around the trade deadline that came and went at 4 o'clock Eastern yesterday, and just where we go with the rest of this NFL season, especially amongst the top contenders in the NFC and the AFC. So we'll have that with Willie. We got news surrounding the Brooklyn Nets and their coach that we got to get to, uh, as well as the rest of the trade deadline. But, Brandon, uh, you just mentioned some college football. Big night last night. The calendar's turned to November. We talked about leaving spooky season behind. Sirius XM Holly is up and running right now, so go and get you some of that Christmas cheer. Oh, my goodness. The best way to spread it is singing loud for all to hear. I don't know if you know that, Brandon, but it's true. Yes, yes, I, I, I realize. I know it's hard to do, but the Grinch, not the Grinch. Who, which one? Was it Ichabod Crane? Ichabod Scrooge? <laughs> which one of them? Uh, it was Ichabod Crane, and I don't remember Scrooge's first name. No, but I'm saying he's the one who had to do the, 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 the joyful... Man. It was one of the ghosts that told him to sing, wasn't it? Wasn't it the singing thing? I was quoting Elf, Brandon, which is part of Christmas canon now. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. How dare you not respect the art that Will Ferrell dropped into our laps? How about the fact that I thought a, a Will Ferrell bar was like, like deep, deep, deep Christmas cut? 
which is why you understand how quickly that movie became Christmas canon. It's a hard genre to break True. into. But Brandon, while we've got that going on and you're allowed to put up your lights now, allowed to experience yes. that joy because Christmas is a season and Thanksgiving is a day. We will enjoy that day when it comes up. <laughs> we will celebrate the season and use it to combat seasonal depression in the meantime. And with that comes in college football, the big change to all the important games. And the college football playoff committee got together and released their first round of rankings last night and it's exciting I know people go back and forth on this one Brandon I worked at ESPN for a long time that took a lot of shit and and sometimes deservedly so for making the playoff a little bit too much a part of the coverage and I think they've done a better job this year of servicing the whole hog of college football going and covering more parts of this and I think it's made the season a lot more enjoyable going along with the fact that we've got more teams that feel like they've got access to this than we usually have yeah, I think we can thank the transfer portal for that versus just kind of waiting to this college football playoff thing that ESPN co-opted, worked itself out. I think they're, they're benefiting off of whatever landscape the college football is currently in. I, I Listen, I think there's some give and take, but I do think there was an earnest desire to look at the way the sport was being covered and say, we can go out here and try and cover more of it. And I think that's why playoff expansion is coming. All those things can be true. Either way, what we got last night was the first round of this. And this is, for anyone unfamiliar with this or who forgets the specifics since we're this far into it now, wanted to give a little refresher course. The CFP committee that comes out here, 13-person committee made up of former athletic directors, coaches, current athletic directors, even heads of state. Condoleezza Rice has been on this thing before, getting a bunch of thinkers who have connections to college football into a room to try and digest these teams from a bunch of different angles. Boo Corrigan, who's the athletic director at NC State is the chairperson of this committee. So every time we get to these Tuesday nights and you've got someone who has to speak, it's going to be Boo Corrigan explaining the decisions made by the committee as a result of this. And in the first round of rankings, which aren't supposed to have anything to do with the AP poll, with the coaches poll, with any of the other ranking systems, it's supposed to be as if none of these teams have a number attached to their game. I have been down to Dallas where they go and meet to do this. I have gone through the mock committee exercises to learn about the process here here and figure out how they go about this and it really is supposed to be you walk in here with a blank slate and you go and vote on these teams in clusters of three to start and then you move all the way through the top 25 and so we got the first round of rankings here which looked like as follows number one the Tennessee Vols checking in at number one here at 8-0 followed by in the top four Ohio State Georgia at number three, Clemson at number four, and then with the first two teams out, Michigan at number five, and one loss, Alabama, sitting at number six. Now, Brandon, again, that six number is always important because the committee does vote in pods of three to start off here. And so they're Mm -hmm. voting on the three best teams, and then once they get done with that, it's the next three teams in there that they try and vote through and work through that process to get. And that's why you kind of end up clustering it in that graphic full of six that we've got there. So just in that initial top six reaction, Brandon, the biggest surprise to me, number one, I mean, you could be surprised that Tennessee was put over Georgia. New kids on the block. They certainly improved a bunch last year. But as we'll see as a theme, when you beat Alabama in an important game, the committee will take note. Alabama is the um, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, 
certainty yeah. in our mind that we know, all right, we can trust this team usually year in and year out. They've been one of the consistent through lines through the CFP along with Clemson. And so when something is done relative to them, because they're a product we trust, people are going to elevate that a little bit more. And so sends a message right away to Georgia that, man, this game this weekend is really important because in the history of the CFP, there has been one team that started off originally ranked third that's ended up making the final four. And for Georgia, who's already sitting here at three, if you lose to Tennessee this weekend, I think there's a pretty clear message sent that you're going to have a hard time sticking around in this thing, especially with Tennessee ruling the East. Wow. That does say a lot because that third spot is always just like, seems like the Ned Stark of the college football playoffs. It's like the first one that gets his head cut off. It's it's tough because a lot of times we see it coming from the same conference like this. And for Georgia, if Tennessee wins here, now you're facing a chance where you don't make it to the conference championship game. Alabama still has that alive, and thus their playoff hopes still remain for a chance to go back and maybe get involved in this. So you've got that going on on one side, Brandon. What what you what are you making a face at me for? Well, no, I, I, I didn't. I figured you might get there, but I wanted to hear your opinion on TCU being right below Alabama after having those two losses because we know the the committee loves in Alabama like you like you said they're kind of the measuring stick but is that a taste that needs to get out of their mouth or is this accurate no so I think we're all human right and that's why I brought up the Tom Brady Bill Belichick thing we've done it in the NFL this year where we've been really hesitant to leave behind the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because we're all afraid of getting burned by Tom Brady every time Bill Belichick makes a move we think that it's somehow the right move because we've seen it be the right move so often and we've seen it made the right move and we've seen these people who have been consistent through lines in a sport where you rarely have this level of consistency. Alabama's been the premier dynasty in college football for basically our entire adult lifetime. And so I can understand... It's not overt. I don't believe in a lot of these crockpot conspiracy theories that come along with the CFP. But I believe we're human beings that look and say, more often than not, I can trust Alabama. And a team with what will likely be the first defensive player taken in the NFL draft and the reigning Heisman Trophy winner in the offensive room, those are things that I can think are understandable to trust versus a TCU team that, yes, has a similar resume. Yes, I thought was inconsistently judged when you heard Boo Cor and the Gorg in the committee chair say, well, we put Ohio State at two because we really like their explosive offense. Well, TCU also has an explosive offense. Oh, no. Ohio State had right. to come back against Penn State. TCU's had to come back down in a couple of games. And so all of these things feel like inconsistencies. Really, for me, I think it's always more of a problem of the explanation. I think the committee at times has been guilty of going out here and doing a poor job of explaining what are, I think in some cases, defensible decisions based on what they've seen. It's a hard thing to do because you are one person in Boo Corrigan trying to express the interest of a group full of 13 people that just spent a whole bunch of this time in the room deliberating. So I'm not saying it's an enviable task, but I think more often than not, explaining that there's a lot of faith in who Alabama is, what they've put on the field, and what they think they can be, that trust in them, versus TCU, who has been a really good explosive team, has been on life alert against some of these squads, has a quarterback in Max Duggan that's got some impressive numbers, but I don't think is as good as those numbers show on a down-in, down-out basis. 
all those things are a lot harder to explain when you're in front of all these microphones. So I understand that TCU is in a spot where they've got a really good chance to keep themselves in the mix. Kansas State is going to be the other Big 12 team of note after they went out and whooped Oklahoma State's whole ass. Kansas State, I believe, controls their own destiny in the Big 12. And so if you go back there, because the Big 12 is one of these conferences that does round-robin play... You as TCU have a chance to go out there, beat them again potentially, and get a win against another highly ranked opponent in that 13th data point at the end of the season, which for all the criteria that we talk about in college football, right, for the college football playoff, strength of resume is going to be a stat that you hear a lot during the proceeding of this. It is what the metric, uh, it's the metric that uh, shows what the algorithm believes the average college football team would do if they were forced to play the same schedule that a particular team played. So what are the chances mm. that a team who has to play, an average team who has to play Tennessee's exact schedule that they've played this year, would be able to go out there and beat teams as well as Tennessee has done so far this season? That's what strength of resume is. It is the most indicative metric when it comes to who the Final Four is. At the end of every year, when you look at the final ranking it'll almost always be teams at least in the top six as far as strength of resume goes on the season. So that's an important measurement for people to take care, uh, take account of here. Other important things for people to take account of here, usually there has not been a two-loss team that has made the CFP so far through the iterations that we've done so far. 19 of the 32 college football playoff participants were in the top four in the initial ranking. We have had a team as low as 16 in the initial rankings make it to the college football playoff final four. It was Ohio State in year one, but they had that kind of vault. We've seen plenty of teams from outside the top six go ahead and make their way in there. So that's certainly a part of it. But two losses usually get you cooked, and getting your ass whooped the way Oregon did against Georgia in week one usually excludes you from this conversation. It's why I think they are going to have a really tough road here, even with being a very live dog in the Pac-12 title race and having a very good chance of holding up that trophy. They're still going to face a difficult barrier because historical precedent says if you go out and get your ass whooped and are losing by multiple touchdowns in a game at the end of this one and it doesn't look close the way it was not close, even in week one, it's usually hard when measured against some of the other one-loss or undefeated teams you could potentially be up against. The other thing, Brandon, that stuck out most for me is, I can understand the gripe for TCU, is the Clemson thing. The Cle- it, it's a very interesting mm-hmm. situation where the committee looked at Michigan and said, you guys haven't played anybody. Michigan has two, ra- two wins against teams above 500. Their non-conference schedule was Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn. Not inspiring a lot, not tough opponents. Clemson, on the other hand, has had the benefit of playing in an ACC that's had teams on the upswing for some of this year. Wake Forest was really good and ranked for a while, and I believe still is ranked. NC State still is ranked right now. Those two teams play this weekend in Raleigh. Syracuse is still ranked, despite having dropped back-to-back games to Clemson and Notre Dame in the past weekend. And so... Clemson has the benefit of saying they've gone out and played those teams, even though we've all watched and offensively, it has not been impressive. Clemson had their quarterback benched in their game against Syracuse in favor of the freshman Cade Klubnik. So I look at these teams, Brandon, and I say, if it was just on who I think is a better team, Michigan's ranked above Clemson. Michigan, based on efficiency metrics, based on strength of resume, based on 
really most deep stats that you can pull up are going to favor Michigan over Clemson. If you look, a number of the different power rankings that would produce like a game line if you played them on a neutral field would favor Michigan mm-hmm. over Clemson if that game was played on a neutral field right now. I think they're a better football team. This is always the difficult part, and people disagree at times with the notion of the committee sending a quote-unquote message about what they want out of these teams, but it seems pretty clear they're looking and saying, you can't just schedule nothing and nobody in the non-con and then expect to go Mm. out here if the Big Ten is not up. Like, I don't think Clemson's non-con is necessarily full of world beaters by any stretch, Like Clemson played Furman, Louisiana Tech, and they'll play Notre Dame, who's technically like half in, half out, and then South Carolina in a rivalry game at the end of the season, who is a Power 5 team who's got some good wins on this season, including recently over Texas A&M, but we talked about it. The ACC has teams that are ranked and looked at well by the committee right now. The Big Ten has not had some of those same teams enjoy that same bump this year. Now, I firmly believe... A lot of this is going to work itself out. That's why I'm not too mad about this. Because if Michigan goes undefeated until the Ohio State game, and Clemson goes undefeated until the South Carolina game, and that last week of the season, the rivalry week games, Michigan's going to be ranked above Clemson. Because in that meantime, they'll play Illinois, who's better than any team remaining on Clemson's schedule. And if you're separated by one, and you've got an Illinois team that looks like they're going to win the Big Ten West that Michigan may have to see again if they beat Ohio State. But if they beat them going into that Ohio State game, I firmly believe Michigan's going to be ranked above them, and then you would have a top-four matchup between Ohio State and Michigan. So that's why with most of these things, Brandon, I'm not super worried about where we're at right now because we have so many places where this is just actually going to play itself out in the field. Okay, so with that being said, what weight should be put on this first initial ranking for for week 10? Like, obviously, we know, like you mentioned, the top four usually ends up showing up uh, in in some way, shape, or form. But uh, is there any – should we put any stock into this first uh, or just this is just really just getting a chance to see where the committee's mind is? Well, no, I think there are some things that are important, right? Because Clemson is in a really good position. They have the best chance of winning out from here on out. I just told you their remaining schedule. It's not full of like this game against Notre Dame is going to be their most difficult game for the rest of the season on the road in South Bend. And they're still a favorite in this game. They probably should be favored by even more than they are just based on how good their defense is. But if they go undefeated and they win their conference championship, then yeah, we're talking about a team that's more than likely going to wind up in the college football playoff. So them being in the top four already is noteworthy. Georgia being at number three, like we said, knowing they've got a 1-3 matchup against a team in their side of the SEC is important. Hell, I mean, you look down the list, the fact that we've got the Pac-12 teams all kind of grouped together, Oregon at eight, USC Mm -hmm. at nine, UCLA at 12, when all of those teams are also going to have some overlap here for the rest of the season. We've got Pac-12 title game that's going to be played between the top two teams, not just teams from the North and the South. So you've got plenty of chances for that to work itself out also. So those things definitely matter in this first round of rankings as far as just seeing how the committee looks at and values certain things. It's going to change week to week. If you expect perfect consistency from a group of human beings, you're not going to get it. That's part of the give and take of this system that was never going to be perfect, but people were pissed off enough coming from the old BCS. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And so just a reminder of where that sets us up for this weekend. Uh, Tennessee and Georgia play this weekend. Alabama and LSU play this weekend. And LSU is one of the... I mean, if you look at the surprising things, TCU being ranked behind Michigan and Alabama surprised some people. LSU being ranked at 10 despite having two losses, including that week one loss to Florida State, with really their only meaningful win being over Ole Miss right now, who sits behind them at number 11, is pretty noteworthy. Again, No team with two losses has ever made the college football playoff. So even if LSU beats Alabama this weekend, I struggle to really take their case for the CFP all that seriously because we've usually seen two is the no-go when it comes to a four-team playoff. And then outside of that, Brandon, the other one that I'm sure is going to raise a lot of heads... 5-3 Five and three Texas being ranked at twenty fourth. Like I know they play, again. This goes back to the all things are related to Alabama theory. You play a close right. game against Alabama, and then you have a other couple of other close ones on the schedule. A game where they were well ahead of Oklahoma State, and then let them come back into this game. You lose to Texas Tech, also like. Those things coupled with the brand of Texas and clearly a committee that seems to like offense that goes through the air, all these things I think led to Texas working their way back into the top 25 in a way that's going to be confusing and probably piss a lot of people off. Well, I'm done being pissed off about this stuff because like you said, it's like, you know, humans are imperfect. It's like being mad at referees. You just got to play whatever it's called in the game. But I do have an issue with my conspiracy theory hat on that week to week, the committee is literally just setting the narratives for the upcoming games to kind of get people out of here. Cause like as weird as the LSU ranking is, it makes a little bit more sense knowing that they can just easily throw them into a a three loss category swiftly after a loss to Alabama that we expect them to have at the end of this weekend. And can move around the the rankings based on the narratives that have already been set up. One versus three, you know, other things like yeah. that. I'll say this. Uh, when we went through the mock exercise, we were doing it for a season that had already happened. And the passion in that room for wanting to get this right for players that were not going to be affected was really palpable. Like, we went at it for hours in there. And it was a ton of fun, but people took it really seriously. I couldn't imagine how serious a group full of people who have lived in and around college sports for so long would take it when they know the actual lives of young people are going to be affected by the decisions. I don't think, and I don't really buy into that. I think there's always going to be some bias that creeps in. I think there's always going to be some human nature that looks at the numbers associated with these things, but I won't go so far as to say that it does work out well though, because you do get a top 10 matchup this weekend for that with LSU and that's going to work itself out on the field. But again, I don't really take that seriously because they've got two losses and that's been a non-starter for the top-end conversation. It would more be about Alabama falling out of contention were this to happen on the road. The other thing, and I just want to leave everyone with a good note on this on the way out, because the rest of the rankings do matter. We talk about all those things, and one of the most important parts of it is the highest-ranked group of five team in every season gets a bid to the New Year's Six Bowl automatically. I think it's going to be the Cotton Bowl this year more than likely. And right now, Tulane is the highest-ranked group of five team uh, in college football, currently sitting at 19. And they've still got to play UCF, who's ranked to end the season. They've still got to play Cincinnati, who's ranked to end the season. But, Brandon, they had a win over Kansas State earlier this year where they beat the shit out of them physically. This is a Tulane team that was 2-10 and last year. This is a Tulane team that spent the first month of the season on the road displaced by a hurricane and ended up, I had their game against Ole Miss, where they were just, you could see, exhausted. They got boat raced by a really good, really fast Ole Miss team. 
But they bottomed out last year and now have come back really strong this year so far in the AAC. So cool to see for them. Obviously, a lot of football left to play, but that's what's on the line in other areas of college football that still matter a lot. And that's why these rankings, 1 through 25, are really important in the way that they're registered for everyone. Um uh, Brandon, so in addition to the college football playoff in the other football news that we had, and we'll talk to, again, Willie Colon about this uh, coming up in just a few minutes here. Uh, some of the notes about the trade line, deadline we talked about with him before 4 o'clock. We recorded that interview before the end of the trade deadline had come and gone. And there were a few other moves, Brandon, that I think fit into different categories here for the NFL as far as what we saw before the trade deadline. That was super active. It was a ton of fun to see what this deadline's become now in this league, uh, just continuing to add to the year-round product that football's a part of. But I think you right. can kind of break down the new ones that we saw because we've already seen you know, Robert Quinn getting traded to the Eagles and some of the other moves that have been made along the way recently. Roquan Smith that we talked about plenty with the Baltimore Ravens. The new ones that we saw yesterday that I think are interesting fall into me four categories. The first category is the all-in category, and that's the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins, who went out and traded for Broncos pass rusher Bradley Chubb. Woo. The Broncos get a um, the Broncos get the 49ers 2023 first-round pick, the Dolphins 2024 fourth-round pick, and running back Chase Edmonds. Um, the Dolphins also traded for Jeffrey Smith, the running back from the 49ers, so that's where kind of some of that stuff starts to work into play. But, um, Brandon, this is a move. In the AFC, you got to saw the heads off the great quarterbacks. They're in the side of the NFL that's got Patrick Mahomes, that's got Josh Allen, that's got Tua Tungavailoa playing really well. And so that's why you've seen every one of the teams up top there address pass rusher in some meaningful way this offseason, whether it's the Chiefs adding George Karloftis to try and help out Frank Clark and uh, the other guys they've already got there. Um, the Buffalo Bills adding Von Miller this offseason, and now this. This is how you beat and get out of this conference, is by being able to rush for and saw the head off the quarterback. So that, to me, was the all-in move there. The Dolphins clearly see this as their window to go out here and try and snatch this thing, even being in the same division as Buffalo, knowing that's going to be a two-team division as far as what comes up for the AFC playoffs. I'm I'm just... I'm. I'm proud of the Denver Broncos for being grown enough to trade away uh, such a big piece that was such a productive part. Like, their defense makes sense. Russell Wilson on that side of the ball makes sense if you have Bradley Chubb on the other side of the ball. I don't know what Chase Edmonds does for that backfield other than give you a, a, a runner that is willing to to be aggressive, but I, I don't know. It just seems like they're – I'm always interested in the other teams, Mike, the ones that are – taking a step back at this point in time in the season. If you want to look for it as a perfect plug, Javante Williams, who you lost in that backfield, you would add some running back depth there to go along with Melvin Gordon. But really, they're they're at an interesting crossroads, but you signed Russ for a long-term deal, and so in theory, you've got a longer timeline to work with, but clearly, this is not a team that's going to win right now. You're going to try and recruit a bunch of stuff back there instead of paying Bradley Chubb what you could be paying him there for a team that appears to be a little further away. It's a little murkier for the Denver Broncos giving away a player like that after we thought they were in win-now Super Bowl mode this year. System shock over there based on what we've already seen. That, to me, not as big a head-scratcher, Brandon, as the Detroit Lions trading TJ Hawkinson, their tight end, within the division. They traded to the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings get TJ Hawkinson, a 2023 fourth-round pick, and a 2024 conditional pick um, in this one. And 
Brandon, that part of it was just stunning to me because TJ Hawkinson's 25 and really good at a position that we see, while value-wise, who knows if it's the most important position in the NFL or anything along those lines, but um, the Lions, excuse me, so the Lions get 2023 uh, second-round pick, 2024 third-round pick, the Vikings get Hawkinson, 23 fourth-round, 24 fourth-round conditional pick, uh, just to give the full numbers on that. It just doesn't make sense because Jared Goff desperately needs a tight end. Well, he desperately needs a tight end that can catch. And the Lions desperately need production on offense, which seems to be going through TJ uh, Hawkinson ever since uh, Armin Ross St. Brown's gone down. Well, and the the other thing I look for is like Jared Goff's not going to be your quarterback next year. This is a team that's bad enough to be in range for the good young quarterbacks at the top of the next draft, which is what we debated before the season. Would they be bad enough for that? The answer is yes. And your young quarterback would probably like to have a security blanket as talented both as a run blocker and a passer as TJ Hawkinson is. Like, you need parts to build around as you're going to transition to whatever comes next on here. And for a guy who's, again, 25 and plays a position where even if you're paying him close to top dollar, it's not nearly as detrimental as a lot of the other positions in the NFL. So I was pretty stunned by that one just because he is legitimately really good. Like TJ Hawkinson has been one of the few bright spots in what's been a lackluster season for the lions so far. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the lions offensive production and go to fantasy football points, I bet TJ Hawkinson is the only one uh, at the, at the very top with Jamal Williams, you know, he's got, got a couple of multiple touchdowns uh, games this season, but Mike, as much as we're talking about what actually happened, just to stay with the NFC North real quick, the fact that the Packers did nothing is as head-scratchy as the Lions trading TJ Hawkinson within the division. It is and it isn't. like Because everyone thought the Packers, maybe it was trading for a wide receiver, but you're not just one wide receiver away. Like, this is a pretty bad football team. You could argue for me, if you wanted to, for the Bucks and the Packers not making a move when this might be the last year that you have each quarterback at the helm. That's maybe a little more so for Tom Brady and a little less so for Aaron Rodgers, just based off age. That not being aggressive at the deadline is going to be something that you're going to regret. I'm not 100% sure I'm there with the Packers. You could have talked me into them taking a move just based on that desperation, right? This is a conference that's yeah. comparatively lesser than the AFC. You're going to have more teams with a chance to be in the mix down the end of the season. So, yeah, I could count that one as surprising, but I still think that's a bad football team in a lot of ways, despite right. the better effort they put forth against the Buffalo Bills this past weekend. Yes, and as, if we're going to report on Aaron Rodgers speaking on Pat McAfee when he says that wild stuff, then we got to report when he says normal stuff. And it seems like... He says he likes the energy around the locker room right now for the Packers. So when I saw it happen, I was like, huh, maybe Matt LaFleur actually believes in this team and and this team just needs to continue to get reps together. I'm sure Matt LaFleur and Goody probably believe different things because we've seen more of it has been Aaron Rodgers' opinion at odds with them about should the offense be doing as much motion, who should be getting reps based on performance. Like That song seems to change week to week from Aaron Rodgers, and it seems to be at odds with what the front office and the coach have been doing, which has kind of been a theme going back the last few years, especially in the draft, and we thought the front office had been winning that. This year's defensive performance may beg to differ a little bit, even though that side of the ball can be pretty variable at times. Um, Brandon, uh, the next one here, as far as category, would be 
all about the quarterback is the Bears trading for wide receiver Chase Claypool. The Bears got Chase Claypool Mm -hmm. for a 2023 second-round pick that'll go to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I understand people that are going to beef with value on this, right? um, The Bears just traded Robert Quinn... Uh, and let or traded Robert Quinn and then let Roquan Smith go for a second yeah. from the Baltimore Ravens. They then gave up their second round pick to the Steelers, which is going to be a higher draft pick than the Ravens pick to go get Chase Claypool mm. over here, a guy who has one more controlled year on his rookie contract but could eventually be due a payday, is an above average wide receiver, but not a great wide receiver by any stretch. But Brandon, this one to me is all in the name of getting a look at your young quarterback. I get you're a rebuilding team, but at the same time, it's never too early to start trying to figure out more about the young signal caller that you're starting to see some good shit out of. And for this team that's had really one pass catcher in the wide receiver room in Mooney that you can really do anything with, and then Cole Komet in the tight end room, adding a guy like Chase who falls somewhere in between those two to kind of alleviate some pressure to be able to give him another option and try and develop this passing game more. I always think getting a good look at your young quarterback is a smart way to do business. And so I can justify this pick with that, even if it's not necessarily going to be draft capital wise, the smartest move that anyone makes during this. Yeah, I think I'm excited to see Chase Claypool in another uniform, especially after the blunders earlier on uh, with the Steelers. Not really big blunders, but, you know, the, the meme worthy clock management stuff. Like, I think the franchise may need a new start. And it looks like I think Chicago would embrace a, a wide receiver like Chase Claypool. And listen, Chase gets to go back and be closer to South Bend, 90 miles west of South Bend in Chicago. Very yep. familiar with that area. You know, the Steelers franchise and what Matt Canada is doing on offense, I think, is going to invite a lot of questions as the season goes along. And so for what this uh, offense does with the Bears could be a good, fresh starting point for a guy who's certainly got talent. We've seen that much. It's just going to be, can he do that to take some of the heat off of your young quarterback? Um, so again, that one all about the quarterback in a way that I can definitely justify for this organization based on what we've seen from Justin Fields' trajectory so far. Brandon, the last one that's super interesting, and I would say it categorically would fall under the future. Trevor Sikama, who works over at Pro Football Focus, uh, copped to this first and said this could be a really interesting way for teams to approach contracts and deals going forward that could make more deals possible. And I think it's really interesting to consider. Calvin Ridley got traded from the Atlanta Falcons to the Jags. It was shocking to a lot of people because Calvin Ridley is not legally allowed to play football right now. He got suspended after being uh, caught in violation of the NFL's gambling policy because he hit like a tried to hit like a 30-leg parlay or some wild shit. But again, inconsistent <laughs> based on some of the other penalties we've seen administered for people like Deshaun Watson for comparatively far more heinous accusations. But story for another day. Um... The terms of this are the interesting one because Calvin Ridley has not been reinstated yet by the NFL. And according to Ian Rappaport, the compensation can be worth at max a 2023 fifth round pick and a 24 second round pick. He is suspended through at least the 2022 season. So the terms are if he gets reinstated by a certain date, it's worth a 2023 fifth round pick. Otherwise, that'll be a sixth round pick. And then for the 24 pick, if he makes the team in 2024, it's at least a fourth round pick. 
If he hits a playing time milestone, then it would be a third round pick. And if Jacksonville signs a long-term deal with him by then, it becomes a second round pick. Brandon, for all the mystery in the situation, they just went and said, all right, we'll make a bunch of incentives like we see for playing time and other things in player contracts all the time. We'll just make that contingent on what this ends up becoming pick-wise. And I think it's a fascinating way to think about what we've talked about. Young, aggressive, creative GMs that have flooded the league and are the reason we're having all these moves being made now applying that to how creatively they can approach this because for the Jags, while it's a ways down the road and you're still a bad team, Calvin really was a really good wide receiver, trending in a really positive yeah. direction when he was on the field before. Atlanta has since added more to the war chest at receiver and probably feels like they don't need that as much as they could doing well to just add more picks to the pile on that side of the football. But I, I just think it's an interesting way to think about this and cool to see teams trying something new, even if we're not sure how it's going to work out. Talking about you're not sure how it's going to work out. He hasn't been here all season long, which obviously is bullshit. But I'm just glad to see his name was in the mix again in this trade deadline because it's almost a reminder of, of of how good he was. I know he was dealing with some personal stuff. At the beginning, there's a reason why he was taking time out that, that wasn't tied to uh, health physically. Um, but I, I'm excited to see it's the land away where toy or the, the land of misfit toys over there in Jacksonville, uh, usually on the offensive side of the ball. And I think he fits right in. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. So it, it'll be fun to watch if, and when it eventually happens and he should be reinstated. Like that would be wild amounts of bullshit. If that was the guy that you were going to draw the line in the sand on as much as the NFL has come Man. around more and more on gambling, being in around and near the sport since the days where Tony Romo wasn't allowed to go to a fantasy football convention. So, uh, like I said, ton of fun, man. The fact that we even get to have these conversations around the NFL trade deadline is a blast. Speaking of fun, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to have fun with one of our friends, former Super Bowl champion, offensive lineman, Willie Colon. Next. 